Welcome to the Love Cars on the Grid podcast, your global motorsport roundup with me, Tiffany Dell and Paul Woodman. Welcome to Love Cars on the Grid, your global motorsport podcast roundup. It wasn't exactly the busiest weekend, but there's still lots of news and gossip and things to talk about in terms of the world of motorsport. Um, we're going to kick off with a bit of news, going to talk about the Macau MotoGP. Um, and of course, we've got to talk about the upcoming Vegas GP. But before we do, I want to say a bit of sad news for me personally, not quite motorsport, but certainly within the automotive industry. Uh, lost a, a friend and a colleague this week called uh, Stephen Jackson. He was from Rolls-Royce Sunningdale. And he was just, it's so easy to say when someone passes to him, but he was just a, such a nice guy. He was friendly to everybody. We dealt with him on uh, content creation and he, whoever it was in terms of the camera crew, uh, me, whoever, he would treat everybody with the same respect um, and dignity. And he, and it's a real loss. He's really only 58, sad. Real, really sad. So, and he been ill for long? Or? No, it was really sudden as well. So you know, maybe that's yeah. a good way to go, but um, there's no good way to go, is there? Especially at the age of 50. No. <laughs> and it's, it's put so much Good. into perspective. I've had this awful toothache all weekend. You just think, get over it. You know, some poor guy my age, our age, has just lost his life. His family's lost somebody. That, um, so anyway, big respects to Stephen Jackson. He was a lovely, lovely man, and, and he'll be missed by all of his friends and family. Um, and it's hard to move on from there, but we've got to move on uh, to some news. I've got a little bit of news. Um, not that much going on. F1 revenues are up and we'll come on to... Uh, no, I haven't yeah. read anything interesting in the, in the... Apart from, I don't know, they're reducing the time for appealing, but nothing else in the gossip <laughs> world. Why have you picked up on I some stories? Little, i got a little bit of gossip. What do you think? The mo- Who do you think the most influential single person has been to Red Bull success to attribute Red Bull success over the last couple of seasons? Who would you well, say? Adrian Newey. Newey is the man. Newey and yeah. his aero cleverness. Well, this is really interesting because Adrian Newey hasn't had anything to do with the last two winning Red Bull cars, the last two seasons. He's had nothing to do with it, personally, directly. Well, he's well, always there. And he's, well, he's, got, and he's, he's got a team. Sure, I know he's got a team under him. It's surely team. the overall concept. Team. It's not his team. He's there as a consultant. He's on a consultative basis, not there about the aerodynamics, well, which well, is, well, 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 blown well, my well, mind. Well, <laughs> how, who's this source? <laughs> Name your source. It's from a very reliable source. I think there's going to be an article coming out fairly soon. But it just, it just shocked me because we've always spoke about yeah. Red Bull's success yeah. coming from Adrian Newey. But, and maybe historically it had. I mean, I know. The last I know two seasons, it's not. It's, there's a lot more people. That yeah, involved, I, and not, he's not even signing I, it off. He's there <laughs> as a consultative role, which is... Quite fascinating, really. I know he's always got a team. I've always known he's not, you know, he steps back a bit, but well, I'm looking forward to reading more. <laughs> what's his face? <laughs> and in terms of Red Bull, obviously it's a done deal now with uh, with what's going on this season, but we move on to Las Vegas and, and everybody's. That's Vegas, baby. Are Red Bull going to dominate there? I don't think they're going to. Well, nobody seems to know. I mean, it's a bit of a finger in the air. Look, look, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. The result of the race is completely irrelevant. (laughs) Nobody's caring who's going to win or lose at Vegas, baby. It's all about the show. It's all about how much you're spending on your corporate hospitality. No, it's Um, not. That's all Max, Max has come out and said, you know, It's not much of a track, you know. And Max has said, wasn't it? So, like, we're only there to be part of the show. And, um, I mean, before, I mean, we have to discuss the show and the money. I mean, it's all mind-blowing. Um, I mean, for me, of course, I, I'll start out. I hope 
that it's a miss rather than a hit. Because, you know, I don't like the way that Formula One is going to to rich people who don't give anything about the sport itself, but just but want to turn up at Miami to be Formula seen in Miami. I know that's where the money's Formula going, One. I know. Which is why I hope it falls flat on its face. But that's just my personal view. However, we have to look at it. I looked at the track. I did, I did a, done a lap of the track um, on the on the on internet. I think it's the same as Max has been used, just the Formula One uh, racing. And it's an intro, but it's just all straight well, so you have a, corners. You, you, you think that yours is the same as Max's sim, do you? Your little computer doing a lap. It's not. It's not on. It's not on a simulator. This was before he got on his simulator. This is just okay. using the Formula okay. One a game, the game. And the one of the intro at the start is quite interesting. The beginning because if you're on the back three or four rows, you start into a kink. Which with all this traction, you know, with these high torque cars, I'm sure it's going to be a bit of a problem. I think they'll be they'll be drifting through the kink before they even get to the start line. Um, turn one's a big hairpin left, always important. I think it's going to be tight again, but at least it doesn't immediately turn right like those horrible chicanes. But it's second gear, a bit like druids, that sort of shape of of left hand. But then it immediately goes into a long right. So as soon as you sort of exit the hairpin. You're going to have to get back to single file, which will cause a bit of wheel banging and people not getting in the way. Um, and then you start the back straight from turn four to five, the first DRS zone. Mm -hmm. Quite good. The two DRS zones are opposite side of the track. So a longish back straight, nothing like as long as the main straight, down to another second gear right hand. So you might get some overtaking there. And then it goes into a pretty silly left, left, right, left over curbs, second gear, back to second gear. Most of the corners are second gear. I think I think every corner is second gear. Really? Um, watching no. the, the PlayStation. Yeah, well, there are some flat-out kinks, if you yeah. count them. They're all counted as corners, aren't they? Because um, after that complete mess of a six, seven, eight turns of curbs in second gear, there's a flat right and a flat left, which looks good on the map. Um, but it's, in fact, just you'll just have to single file through it uh, before you go down to another second gear left-hander. Um, which heads out onto this great, what's it called, the Las Vegas Boulevard, um, where, again, there's a kink at the beginning of it. But it's incredibly long. Watching on the PlayStation game, you saw you're sitting there. <laughs> so it's going to have to be a fairly low-down-force setup, I imagine. Um, and, of course, there's DRS there. The thing is, having never raced them before, you know, every year with a the DRS, they tend to tweak it, don't they? Because last year it was a drive-by, and this year it wasn't enough. So they're able to play... Now, obviously, they got a rough idea from what's the the street circuit in the in the Middle East, Far East, not Far yeah, East, the, the Russian one, Saudi Arabia, the Russianish one, Azerbaijan. It looks almost that length, you know. It's a long, long straight. Yeah. Azerbaijan, of course, begins with those twists, and then at the end of that, there's guess what? Another second gear corner, but that also goes left, right, left, straight after it. So any half past either at the turn one or at turn seventeen is going to lead to wheels clashing. And then there's just a flat out left to the finish. So, so, so if you didn't understand what Tiff was saying about the turners and lefts and rights, just imagine <laughs> an upside down pig with his legs up and his trotters and his uh, yeah trotters up and his his nose sort of pointing that way, so left. And that's what the circuit looks like. An upside down pig. Have you seen that? You see, you think that's helped my explanation, my brilliant <laughs> lap of the track going left and right. You you felt it necessary to come out with an upturned pig to help our <laughs> listeners. Understand. There's gonna anyway, be... basically it's a lot of straights and a yeah. lot of second gear corners. Which if they got the DRS wrong, 
will be a complete bore. If they got the DRS wrong the other way, will be masses of overtaking. So, um, so hypothetically, then, course, it's it's one of the it could be a bit of an engine smasher down into second gear from such massive long uh, flat yeah, out. But those gears. engines, the computers manage all those downshifts. But then we move on to this this temperature issue. And that's probably the biggest talking point. Well, I think the whole Vegas thing. First, Everybody thought, oh, Vegas going to be pool party, sunshine. Well, it's November <laughs> and it's bloody cold. It's seven degrees. It's going to be seven. And they're starting and at ten midnight. p.m. Yeah. Yeah, 10 p.m. it kicks off. Then there's looking like about 11 degrees. I've read some people say it's going to be six degrees. I think 11 or 12. Um, yeah, when some forecasts have rain even a yes, small Tim. percentage. When it starts at 10, it will be 11 or 12. But when it gets to midnight, when it finishes, it will be seven degrees. It's the desert. It, the temperature just yeah, okay, it. Right. it will. It will. All right. I'm a weatherman. Anyway, you're going to have to get up at 4.30 in the morning on Friday to get the first view. First to FP1 for this intriguing, it's intriguing. Will the surface grippy? You know, yeah. it's everybody's going to watch this first with massive interest. I'll be hoping it's a disaster. <laughs> so they lose money and go back to Spa and go back to India and go back to Sepang in Malaysia, which were two tracks that Tilka built that were quite reasonable, actually. Um, the race, of course, six o'clock on Sunday morning. Well, I'll be, I'll be asleep, I'll have it on record. Get out of bed. Don't listen to any social media. I'll, I'll phone you at uh, eight and, watch and tell you the, the news. Who <laughs> won? <laughs> <laughs> but then we look at the money side of it. I mean, I've just been doing some reading. You know, I mean, it's the most, it's the most bizarre thing. So it would appear that Liberty, because they've spent, they bought all this. So Liberty bought land. They built the pits complex. Apparently, they started off with a two hundred and forty million dollar budget. They now reckon they've spent half a billion dollars on creating this thing. And then the project goes till 2032. So that, that's that's they're sort of looking ahead. Obviously, it's losing money huge this year. They've even got 40 million out of the, the local government from Las Vegas, because I think it's bringing uh, people, bringing money, bringing everything to Vegas. Well, so um, they thought. We'll but having said that, that yeah. exactly. So so they thought. But now we're having these stories that the, the ticket prices have been dropped. There was some paddock club seats going for $22,000, maybe even more, I've just read some bits. So if you take your family of four, that's $100,000 <laughs> to watch cars go, well, then watch it all on the TV screen and drink more free drink. Um, and that's before you've flown there or driven there or got the hotel, $20,000 to watch a two-hour motor race. Unbelievable. Um, but yeah, but... but you, even you can drink that much champagne, Tiff. <laughs> The hotel deals are all dropping. The hotel rooms that were $1,000 a night are now sort of coming down drastically. So well, people they, that have spent yeah. the 1000 and now want their money back because they're saying, well, hold on a minute, you know, the price has dropped. We, we bought early. The prices um, now for hotels the are, are the pretty, same as they are on a normal weekend in normal. November. So, uh, yeah, a couple yeah. hundred dollars for a hotel night. Uh, a lot of the, the locals have been moaning about the disruption it's caused, you know. And, of course, they've had to the other thing I read, this the sphere, which looks like incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. In concert, I mean, it just looks amazing. Um, because that's in the middle of the track, they've had to buy the lease of it for three weeks. So kick you two out. Off you go, Bono. Um <laughs> And so they've, they've they've compensated the sphere owners, whatever the rental is, uh, to take it over three so weeks. A different, a different bono um, will be there this week. Yes. So obviously they say that they haven't got much there. They've got a sort of a, a party after the race inside it, and there'll be something kicking off. But again, you know, you've got it's sort of like if other people have gone to Vegas, want to go for the concerts and stuff, well, they can't. The sphere's shut. So 
you know, unless it's full of motorsport fans, the other people there are going to be a bit pissed off if they can't walk down. I think they're going to open the road to Vegas. They? Not... It's, it's for the whole entertainment. It is for the parties and the after parties as well. But it's they, they, they got massive egg on their face because, as you quite rightly said, everything has, has plummeted in terms of price. And now they can't give it away. They got no. too many tickets. They can't give it away. There'll be empty grandstands. So... There'll be cold, miserable people with empty grandstands <laughs> on race day. I'm telling you, there will be. Talk, I mean, and in terms of FP1 and, and Quali, don't expect to see many people there. So, but basically, we have to accept that Formula One, the greatest Formula in motorsport, is now a sideshow. It's all it is, a sideshow. Well, it's more than that, but it is becoming too entertainment-oriented as far as I'm concerned. Watch some catering races. Well, I hope That's everyone better. that goes is miserable enough. The <laughs> trouble is, if you spent $100,000 taking your family to Vegas, you told all your friends, we're going to Vegas. You don't come home and say, God, that was boring and dull. We were ripped off. Because then you feel embarrassed. You've wasted your $100,000. Mm. Well, there we go. But I mean, I still, obviously, it's the race. I, I'm still intrigued by the race. I'm intrigued by the temperature thing, the management. We might get some strange results if these tyres. Oh, really I hope we work do. I hope we get some strange right. results. So, I, yeah. yeah. So that, that's why I'm looking forward to mainly, you know, to see how the DRS works. And but we've been there before. I was putting that. We've been there before when they say, oh, you know, it's going to be a weird one this weekend and not sure how this is going to, this oh, no. going to do. And, and then Max every time, Max again. goes every single time. <laughs> But I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it just because of the intrigue, as you say. But And it will be a spectacle. It yeah. is Vegas. And it is one of the most exciting places yeah. in the world. Adults Disneyland. Um, right. Let's go to another <laughs> Disneyland. Adults Disneyland. Macau, where you've raced many times. Well, MotoGP first. With the Macau second, that was okay. that's in the middle of the week. Because it was MotoGP was in... Um, Singapore, I mean, I'm sitting Malaysia, Malaysia, Sepang. Malaysia, yeah. Um, and there was Macau, Macau was, it's only really building up. The Macau Grand Prix is this weekend, but they had some ah. Formula 4 races last weekend. Uh, yeah, MotoGP, well, MotoGP, um, it was a strange, it was a, wasn't as exciting as last week by far. It was a bit of a procession, to be honest. Um, it's still this battle between Ania Bagnaia in the factory, uh, Ducati, trying to hold off the Jorge Martin in the Pramac, um, Bike, but it wasn't just those two on the pace this weekend because uh, Enia Bastianini, who is uh, Bagnaia's teammate, had this awful crash. It was Portomayo, was badly injured, he's taken all year to get back to fitness. Um, but he qualified third, so it was Bagnaia and Martin first and second, then uh, Bastini, Bastianini, and then Alex Marquez. All of a sudden, these Grassini Ducati um, satellites, it was all Ducati, all first four, first six were Ducatis, in fact, on the grid. Um, so Alex Marquez, whose brother is joining him next year, the Mark Marquez, getting rid of his terrible Honda. Um, so they've all of a sudden, Grassini Ducatis have become popular, whereas the VR46 satellite Ducatis were fifth and sixth, um, ahead of Brad Binder, KTM seventh, Fabio Quattararo, Yamaha eighth, um, and then ninth, the, the Aprilias, that some race in the middle of the year, I think they've they dominate. Was it Silverstone, I think, even, where they just dominated everyone came first and said there was the bike to have. It's got these big front wings. But they're going backwards recently. And Maverick Vinales, who was ninth, apparently the aero on the bike is hot, hot, hot. Actually. It was 30 degrees temperature or something out of Malaysia. But the Aprilia somehow keeps the heat in. And it sort of sucks the engine heat up onto the riders. And apparently the riders are saying that they're in a... In a little area of 60 degrees centigrade or 70 degrees centigrade they said they can't ride the thing wow um so aero's aero's got different problems with the bikers 
Um, and then the tyres were a problem. So again, like Formula One, you know, we've talked about this before with MotoGP. They set these minimum tyre pressures, so which um, Michelin do. It's Michelin, isn't it? Yeah. So it's down to 1.88 bar. And you have to be above that for 30%, whatever it is, of the thing, the rules, don't know the finite details. And if it's lower, apparently they worry about the tyres getting damaged. They run it too soft, so the sidewall isn't held up. The sidewall will get damaged, so the tyre might explode. And so they have to have these minimum tyre pressures. So that's 1.88 bar. But all the riders that over two bar, they just become solid balloons and have no grip and won't stop. And they just have no grip. And so all the riders are now, they're saying that a bit like, you know, Formula E and with them I talked about, in Formula One sprint race in Brazil, where everyone was just backing off and coasting, they're all just saying they can't race. They're just saying because you don't think a bike's so narrow. But yeah. also if you follow a bike in front, just a little heat wave of a bike Crazy. in front heats up your front tire. So your front tire goes straight over two bar, and then you can't follow them. And so it was a very processional racing in uh, Salango in, in Blaze because of this problem. Um, the sprint, actually, uh, Alex Marquez won it, leapt from third on the grid or whatever, third on the grid, got through to the lead after a couple of laps and walked away. Uh, Martin did come second from Bagnaia, third, and Bastini, fourth. These four riders dominated the whole weekend. Um, and so by, by coming uh, second to third, Martin got two points closer, gapped the dad just 11 points behind Bagnaia, to which uh, Motorsport said, Martin slashes the championship lead. <laughs> they do get carried away sometimes, don't they? Two points nearer. And it's like they got 350 points each. I don't know how many it is, but um, I don't quite think that's slashing. And even the main race, which was duller than ever, the front four really spread out. Um, Bastianini got into the lead to win, walked away with it. Everyone was very happy because he's had his injuries come back. So everyone was over the moon. Uh, Alex Marquez got second, so another great race for Grassini. And Bagnaia was third, and he beat Martin into fourth. So he got the slash. No, no. What's the opposite of slashing? So he he maxed his lead out to 14 points from 11 uh, because he came third instead of fourth. But they were all spread out. There was no racing, a bit of racing going on behind them, but really not a very exciting race for MotoGP this weekend. But the championship is still the feature. Two rounds still to go just 11 points or 14 now. So that's what we're waiting for. Moto2 equally dull. Um, Fermin Aldegaia led a Spanish 1-2-3, leapt off the line, went away, won easily. Pedro Costa cruised to second because he knew if he got above fourth, he would be champion. <laughs> the way the motorbike boys do with bigger championships. So he comes around to about turn four. There was a theatre. Valentino Rossi started with. It was like a theatrical story that the mechanics would go out there. And if they've got these four hoardings up, a red carpet for him to walk, but it's in the middle of the racetrack, you know, as soon as the whole race is finished. And he walked past his four championships, then he got given a golden helmet by a whale or a frog or something, a fish. <laughs> <They're laughing laughs> um, uh, a third place went, a good but third place, the first podium, another Spanish, there's Marcus Ramirez. So Spain all over the place, a Costa champion going MotoGP. Jake Dixon, fifth, fighting to keep third place in the championship, Jake is. But it's Aldegaia that's the man that's catching him fast that keeps on winning at the moment. So Jake struggling to hold on the third. Uh, Sam Lowe's came seventh, Rory Skinner, 20th. So that was two boring race. So it was left to the Moto3 boys. With the, they opened about seven o'clock in the morning. I don't know how many people are watching. I was watching. 
Um, and it was bizarre. You know, I always say on the podium, what I love about bikes is everybody in the podium is happy. You know, whether you won, won or lost, they're always smiling and making great interviews and happy with it. Well, this podium was very unhappy. Um, so we're going to, there were four riders all battling for the Moto3 title, but for two, it was pretty much the end of their hopes. Because uh, David Alonso, this amazing Colombian kid we've always been so impressed with, he high, a huge high side in qualifying. He was like in the air for five seconds, loop high and then land on his back. But out he comes to the race, as these boys do, 16 or whatever he is now. Um, but he had another high side in the middle of the race and took down about four bikes behind him. He got from like 19th, he qualified badly because of the qualifying crash. And he got up to about ninth from 19th. And then another high side and took down another of the championship uh, contenders, Daniel Holgado, Spanish, who led the championship earlier. So that pretty much put two uh, of the possibles out of the title race with two runs to go. So we ended up with this fascinating finale where bizarrely there were only three left in the front group. So another crash took out fourth, fifth and sixth. Um, and in the three were, were Jaume Masia, who was an honor Honda, who's leading the championship. The Japanese boy, Ayumi Sasaki, who's had six second places but not one at all. And Sasaki's teammate, uh, the Dutch boy, Colin Vaija. So we had this wonderful high-speed match going on. Who's to lead at the last lap? And Sasaki kept on leading into the last quarter, sort of almost rehearsing what was going to do. And Masia was hanging on. His Honda not as quick as the straight lines as the Hasvana, so he couldn't really race as well. Anyway, on the... In the middle of the penultimate lap, Vaya took the lead off of his teammate, um, Sasaki. So Sasaki's probably sitting there in second, and he's got his championship rival behind him in third, thinking, OK, the boy's going to let me by the last corner. <laughs> and he didn't. <laughs> he he braked wow. later than anybody else. Sasaki wow. sort of came up the inside, and Vaya just braked later and managed to scrabble around the corner. But it was his first ever win. He's never won. Uh, the last race, he had his first ever uh, podium, so he's on a roll. But um, so the commentators were all going, we're not sure that was supposed to happen. <laughs> but bizarrely, so then the wonderful instant post-race interviews, which I always enjoy in MotoGP, you know, we had Juan Masia, who was sort of just bum, because he basically, he thinks his bike's not quick enough for that sort of track. So I think he's almost moaning to his engineers, he needs more power. So he just, and he was the only Honda, I think, in the, in the front pack of six towards the middle of the race. So he wasn't happy. And then Sasaki comes on, and they were very political, you know, we are good for the team, one, two. But he was obviously well pissed off that he hadn't been <laughs> allowed to take the extra points. And, of course, that's his seventh, second place, I think seventh now, now, this season, without a win, to double reasonably post off. Then Colin was on the slowing down lap, he was crying on his bike and waving to everybody, anybody, doing wheelies everywhere. And I think by the time he got back to the paddock and met all the engineers, there was a bit of a, he realised there, there had been probably a conversation for the race that should certain circumstances come up that um, perhaps he might have to give way and uh, getting carried away in the race, I think. Oh, you should have given the place. Yeah, I mean, team's a team and, you know, rookie's a rookie. And I think you have to have to help your teammates. Even, even though it's your first win? Yeah, he'll get another win another day. His day will come. Yeah. But he was obviously looking a bit guilty. All the, the euphoria had gone out of him when he was interviewed. He was always a bit like the naughty kid that had been caught with his, his hand in the sweet jar. So um, <laughs> interesting drama going on in MotoGP. But not well, the Moto3 is always a great race, but the other two, a bit of a procession for a change. Um, yes, the only other race was Macau. Um, 
we didn't preview it last weekend because the first it's a two double headed. They haven't raced there for they missed out a couple of years. What you raced the cows? Didn't you? They, they were there. Oh, the one it, it's the greatest. People ask me what's my favourite track. It's Macau, and I've had tears there on two occasions. And um, when things went wrong, and uh, I went out there in 1979, and I had a 1976 chassis. Um, which I've been racing in. Unipart took me out to Malaysia to race in the Malaysian Grand Prix. Is that a sports car? Something or? else Grand Prix. No, single Formula Atlantic. And back then, Macau Grand Prix was Formula Atlantic because the Australians raced Formula, they called it Formula Pacific. So it was always a meet. Americans used to come over, the Australians yeah. came up, the nice. Europeans came down. But I was in this tatty old car, which I'd, I'd helped rebuild in the heat of Kuala Lumpur. I was when we had to put a new bag tank in it. And these huge rubber balloons. Those old March 763's got a sort of a nice little shaped narrow at each end with a bulb in the middle where the fuel tank is. And, and trying to put this in, you have to cover it in talcum powder and try to get it to push in because otherwise it's too much friction. And this is in the humidity of an unair conditioned Kuala Lumpur garage. And anyway, we rebuilt brilliant the memories. Car, took, took it. Yeah, we took it, took it to uh, persuaded Unipart to take it from uh, Kuala Lumpur down to Macau. And I qualified in about fifth, you know, and it was all Formula One stars, Ricardo Patrese. The factory March team were there with their brand new March 7-9Bs, the 79 car. Uh, and the Americans were over in their flying Tigers routes. But I had this dice with Patrese, Ricardo Patrese, who won the Macau Grand Prix and was running ahead of him. And ran, I think I was running fourth at that stage. It was a wonderful race. And the blooming gear link, a bolt. You, know, the, you bolt the gear lever at the back of the anyway, the gear linkage fractured in the middle and I ended up with no gears. And about three years later, I was battling for the lead with um, Richard Guzman, I think it was. And uh, oh, I was going to have it. He'd broken his fin. We're about only two laps to go. Uh, but my Rolton started jumping out of gear at the end of the main straight on deceleration, oh, oh. which often happens. Yeah. When the gearbox is slightly out of field, you lift off the power and boom, it jumps. Boom. But that didn't matter at the end of the main straight because I just Pushed, pushed it back in, down to second gear, around the Lisbon, back up the hill. And on this penultimate lap, after Teddy Yip's house on the top of this wonderful mountainous, right, left, right, left, that really fast car, I just had the lift in the middle of it. And it'd be no problem until that one lap, right in the middle of the corner, just lifted a fraction to get the nose in, and pop, out it came. So the car understood instantly, kissed the barrier, broke the front wishbone. And on the same lap, What's Guzman? I can't get the right driver. Anyway, he hit the wall thinking I was still chasing him. So he didn't finish either. And Roberto Moreno, who's half a minute behind us, won the Macau Grand Prix. Unbelievable. He'll never forget that. I've raced in saloon cars. And, you know, it's a wonderful track. Absolutely brilliant. And it, it was amazing. I think I looked at the qualifying times and some people were saying huge gap between the top of the grid. I mean, it wasn't a competitive Formula 4 grid. It was, the, it was round the Southeast Asia non-championship. But a few Europeans went out there with the Prima team, of course, have the best Formula 4 cars in the world. Um, and it proved a British-dominated event. Um, Arvin Lindblad, this really talented young, another sort of Ollie Behrman, they're talking about him in the same sort of words as Ollie Behrman. Uh, he finished first in the, in the, they had a sort of qualifying race in the wet, which had about one lap of racing, I think, and eight laps of uh, crashes and red, yellow flags and pace cars. Uh, Freddie Slater came second. This other really highly talented karting kid, Janetta Junior champion. Um, um, Arvin was 16 in August. Freddie was 15. So he only just started racing single-seaters because he could race in Janetta's. Uh, well, they just started Janetta's, I mean. 
and it's it's just they're so young it's so crazy but both highly talented um arvin's actually of indian and swedish descent but he's british driver um one karting third in the italian f4 so two real talents um, but poor old Freddie in the main race had an electrical problem, dropped to 18th and came back to 9th. But Arvin won both races. So but this weekend it, coming is the big event, Formula 3s, uh, GTs, um, huge weekend. And it's the most magnificent racing circuit. Is the track and, you know, the same talent to how it was in the 70s? Yeah, the same track. Same so, track. And what's Except, the lap times for these guys in, in the Formula form 4? Two, two and a half minutes, two and a half minutes. What were you so doing? that's one's a gap. I've no idea. Can't remember. All I remember is when we came out of the last corner when I was there, there was a bit of barrier and then just a run off into the water, into the sea. <laughs> the whole main straight, the whole main straight just had the sea on the left. Now there's a whole road of hotels and roads and it was an amazing that's, back to what, 1979. That's the uh, ancestral sort of home for uh, Fei Ho, uh, Fei Ho Racing as well, uh, motorbikes, British, British superbikes. Um, we, we've got one more uh, thing to cover before we have coming ups uh one more bit of racing this weekend of course it was the race of remembrance up at anglesey good for those guys oh yes of course the annual race of remembrance um there's normally a uh, an elise there that that dominates um but uh he yeah. wasn't there rob or oh, i don't know his last name um i should know his name but um it was a caterham one two three with the williams caterham team coming home uh, in first place, so without you, in. how did they win without you? Well, oh, where very, was your invite? Then? Very easily, no, I don't get invites these days, but um, <laughs> uh, but well, any, uh, any of your mates who was in the winning, any of your mates, Freddie yeah, and um, Henry, Henry Williams was in, he he runs Williams Automobiles, and uh, uh, there's there's loads of the boys that um were in not not in actually the same year as me, but there were lots of them that either side of me. Uh, and then Darren Burke, he's a he's a he's a pro racer, uh, British GTs and stuff. He was in the second team um, with Ben Timmons, who won uh, Academy last year. Uh, Roger Patkey, Callum Locke, Toby Ballard, and Henry Williams won. Um, yeah, it's good. Lots of names on there that uh, well, you would know. And good. well done, just for going, boys. Well, yeah, so many of the, um, the 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 army boys go there, don't they? They're getting their arts so down. The whole, all, all the military. Danny was there, our our mate, and and James obviously runs yeah. it. Jim runs it as well so yeah it was good brilliant event and i don't think they got that wet it wasn't the best weather but uh um for anglesey it was like a walk in the park i think but uh so cater one two three well done well done boys and in terms of coming up what do we got uh, obviously, yeah, well, obviously formula one vegas big 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 um nobody probably noticed the world rally championship coming to an end in japan uh kelly rovan bear has already won it so there's yeah. no excitement out there so i doubt we'll see much press of that uh, MotoGP go to their penultimate round in Qatar with that huge long straight will please the Ducati power boys, I think. Um, so MotoGP in Qatar is big news. And then Macau's got the Formula 3. Um, and the Formula 3 haven't been there for a while. It's just been Formula 4 regional because, again, all the, I don't know why all the reasons what, what after COVID. So it's the full Formula 3 crowd. There's 30 of them going back there. I mean, they've, they've got a lot of power. Uh, it's half of it's the same sort of entry, same cars, but half of them drive staying on. Some drivers coming out from below to have a debut in Formula Three, and Dan Tictum going back to Formula Three. He's won Macau twice, so Dan probably still wants to wave his talent around and still believes he can get a Grand Prix seat. Uh, Luke Brown and the other British entrant go down there. Sophia Fleur should be on the field. She's raced Formula Three this year. Of course, she had that horrendous accident. It must be five years ago now when she flew into that uh, press tower. In the most frightening crash. Um, so yeah, Macau, 
really a lot of action, MotoGP, um, and of course, Ford One. So a lot of action coming this weekend. Good. Stay tuned. See you next week. Thanks for joining as always. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.